1: For the longest time now I had been looking for the perfect way to serve my agave spirits. Be it a vessel, a copita, a glass, the shape didn't really matter. What mattered was that this vessel was equally as stunning as the agave spirits I was serving. So, I just didn't want something that was beautiful. I also wanted something that talked about Mexico in its full glory. And finally, finally after many years, our friends at mezcalforlife.com saved me. They found what I wanted. These came in the shape of marble glasses. I've always loved marble because it's the one thing that's gonna last you your lifetime. Even if you have dogs or kids, it is virtually impossible to break them, though you can achieve it. But most importantly, I think there are very few materials that can show with such precision the place and the artisans that were involved into making this. Every time I see one of these glasses, I have to imagine the mountain that was cracked open in order to extract this marble and then the process in which the artisan thought, yes, this is what I want. This is what I think is beautiful and this is what I want to share with the people that are coming to my town. So, if there's any chance that you are as excited about Marvel as I am, I recommend you to go visit mescalforlife.com. That is again mescalforlife.com, and I really hope you get to find your perfect copita.
2: Bank. I am Chava Perivan, and this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps green gags, bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico, including Oaxaca, the place that you are loving to death, Chava. I am not. I have. I, I rarely go there. I mean, I've lived there for eight years,
1: so I definitely heard it. You but lived there I for could... eight
2: years? Yeah, I did so. Well, that's, a, that's taking a little bit much out of Oaxaca, isn't it? That's quite a bit of impact, eight years. I,
1: I, I will say I, I got scarred by Oaxaca, but yeah, sure, I also <laughs> took quite a bit of it.
2: <laughs> well, anyway, what I want to talk about, Chava, is um, this woman who I admire quite a bit, uh, Fabiola Santiago, she wrote a piece in Medium that's been circulating, medium.com, she, it's been circulating around the uh, the social media on the, uh, the the webs, the interwebs. Um <laughs> (laughs) That talks about how to approach tourism in Oaxaca if you're not from Oaxaca.
1: And okay, so actually, let's just start from the beginning. Sure. Because, you know, when you travel around Oaxaca, even people from Oaxaca can be tourists. That's you true. You know, when you're in Mi'ahuatlan yeah. and somebody from the big, big city from Oaxaca gets there, <laughs> big, they're big also, city. T- well, I mean, it's a 300,000 people city. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's as populated as Amsterdam. So it's a city in my book. Okay, okay, that's and uh, so even Oaxacans can be tourists in their own state, right? Fair. That is very fair. Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there. And okay, continue, please, okay, senor. So she wrote
2: this piece that was very specifically, or at least it reads that way to me. You should read it yourself and, you know, we're going to have a link um, on our uh, on the webpage. I've read it,
1: but you're talking to
2: the road trippers, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll let you know when I'm talking to you, Chava. <laughs> okay, please. <laughs> go go go. So we're, we're so, going to finish so this. If, if you've not read it, you can go to our our webpage uh, for this episode at agave roadtrip.com. We'll have a link to the the piece on medium.com. Um but it feels to me like she wrote it specifically for people from the USA who traveled down to Oaxaca and you know mm-hmm. and, and Fabiola is somebody who was born uh and and not 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 for her entire childhood um raised in Oaxaca but she was between there and California um but a place you know Oaxaca is a place she calls home and mm-hmm. it feels to me like and again, this is, you know, I don't want to put words in her mouth. It feels to me like she is concerned that this place that she loves is going to be loved to death by people like me uh, traveling down there to be tourists and to see the beauty of it.
1: Well, I think there's love and then there's love, right? There are maniacs like you that will go there for 500 times. And I think that it's a very minuscule proportion and though it's, you know, sometimes I feel weird about my own story of how I stayed there eight years, because uh-huh. I know so many people, so many kids that have the same story as I do. I went there to volunteer for three months, that became six months, that became eight months, that became eight years. So I, like, I just, it, it's it's such a funny cliche, all these kids that get there and just never leave, which it's, uh you know, the, the joke in Oaxaca is that you ate a grasshopper and then, then you're meant to stay. The grasshopper has put a, <laughs> uh, I don't know, some witchcraft on top of you and you will never leave Oaxaca. So there's that kind of love. There's a lot of the people that go there every year or multiple times a year or stay to live there, even if they're not originally from Oaxaca. And then then there is the love of people that saw this name on an airplane magazine, on social media, somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they're suddenly extremely curious about knowing what's happening In the south of Mexico and they go for a weekend for four days, and but it's more you know like just to put another stamp on their books of travels,
2: right? Um, would you agree that you you, have like you anytime anytime you say that there's not uh um uh one reason that people go to Oaxaca or one way they go, you're of course you're you're always gonna be correct. Yeah.
1: So my question will be, is this and and my reading is that a lot of this piece is more directed towards a person that is gonna spend their a minuscule amount of time and it's not gonna engage in a long term way with with the place. Do you,
2: will you say that I'm correct? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I, I guess I, sh- I probably should have read through the whole piece again before we record this episode. <laughs> well, no, episode. actually,
1: actually she, has, she has a whole point about buying land in Oaxaca. Oh, she and does. She That's true. That, yeah. And and she claims that gringos or people from somewhere else shouldn't do such a thing, which I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a, i, I it, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of diverse communities. Yeah. So I don't know I, how much I agree with, with that. And uh, I can understand. Tant gentrification in some capacity, but uh, just don't agree with that one.
2: I, yeah. You know, I, I, I hear you. When I read the piece, I, I'd say that I, like 80% of it um, I agreed with 20%. I didn't, um, you know, as a guy who lives in Chicago's Humboldt park neighborhood, when, when Connie and I, um, when Connie and I first moved here, we're not, didn't even before we moved here, we were, came to look at the place that we now live in, that we've lived in since 2008 it's uh, called the Lubank Castle. It's full of lights. It has two guards on the top with coal
1: archers. It is, called
2: the Con- <laughs> it is the Connie Bank Castle. It's, actually, it's more like the Jacob Bank Castle. Anyway, um, you know, when we first were coming to look at the place, there were signs up all over the neighborhood saying, no se vende. Oh, I love it. Right. Do not sell it, which, you know, it's not for sale. And it, it, some of what Fabiola wrote brought me back to seeing those signs and and feeling like really torn because on the one hand, I get it that you you don't want gentrification forcing people out of a place. But on the other hand... You know, I I have a real problem with any community that is considered only for one type of person. What,
1: uh, what, isola- what? I, isolation usually gives you a bunch of problems, and some yeah. of them might be
2: genetic. So, yeah, yeah I, mean, I think <laughs> yeah. it's better. Yeah, well, to go. I was us learn t- something from Chakilana Beber so yeah, yeah. And you know, and I wasn't thinking of uh, of genetics, but I, you know, I do think <laughs> that the more we understand each other, the more we meet each other, the more we understand each other, and the more we understand each other, um, I, I think the better we off we all. are. So so
1: I, so I, kn- I wait, wait, wait so I now know where I want to direct this conversation and I think it's it's the best that we can do not to fall in the typical place that I think most of the things we're saying go and and uh, I, I just it's a realization just happened upon me. Yeah. So I think that really interesting question about tourism and outsiders coming to a place is how did you create I, we both agree finally in something that a diverse community it's a more rich
2: community I, I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah.
1: So you need outsiders to come in order to get a diverse community. Right. Yes or yes. That there's no way to get diversity otherwise. Yeah. So how can you do that without those outsider, without those outsiders diminishing or killing or sterilizing what was there and instead enriching it?
2: And well, I, I, I w- yeah, but one man's one man's enrichment is another man's sterilization, right? Well, and I'm not talking about money. No,
1: I, no, and I think I, that, I, that I, is really important, yeah. right? Because I think we start getting into the money part. Just It's such a boring conversation because then any industry can be a big offender. From tourism to corn to mezcal, it's just like how much is a fair... What, I, I think I, I don't want to touch upon that in, in this specific conversation. But I, I agree with you. Like one person's enrichment can be another sterilization. Maybe the fact that now you have beautiful pastries, French pastries in Oaxaca made Mm. by Boulenc, it makes people go nuts. They say that that is the ultimate sign of horrific gentrification. Oh, no kidding? I didn't realize? I thought everybody loved Boulenc.
2: Oh, no, oh. no, no. It's such a contentious thing. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. And, you know, and I think even in that contention, um, as long as it's a respectful contention and there aren't bricks being thrown through windows, I think that can be a, um, a productive conversation that leads to growth.
1: Yes. And I remember so much. Uh, it was during Day of the Death. Uh, I was in Oaxaca. I was not living there anymore. And there was uh, this gay bar called El Número. And El Número, it's such a colorful, beautiful place full of mirrors. And well, I'm, I'd am rather not describe this because I think uh, we're not rated for the description <laughs> to make it on there. But uh, there was a beautiful poster set uh, on the door of El Número that said... Bájale tu tradicionalismo, like, stop your traditionalisms and, like, be open for new stuff or something along those lines. And it was, like, this super, like, anime-looking Japanese Disneyland kind of stuff mixed with Day of the Dead motives. It was beautiful. I was like, this is what I think. When I think about why I love Oaxaca or Mm -hmm. what makes Oaxaca special to me, it is not all this ultra... You know, like save traditions that have not moved. It is its crazy flexibility. It is its crazy ability to have all these different languages within themselves, and this crazy geography, and all these different traditions, and make something out of it. That's I, what I love about the Oaxaca.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I I get that, but I also say I don't think it's productive to view one thing as the right thing. So so, and I say this to say. I think there's also this great beauty in these things that are ultra traditional that haven't been moved, and I don't think the two things have to have to um, have to fight one another. I think they can coexist.
1: I would love, I would love for you to tell me one ultra traditional thing that has not moved.
2: One ultra traditional thing that has not that has moved.
1: not moved in fifty years.
2: Uh, okay, in 50 years. Well, hell yeah. Yep. Like, okay, so, so clay pot stills. Oh, they have definitely changed, just just uh, <laughs>
1: I, and you know why? Just the fact that there's glaze. Okay, okay, okay.
2: <laughs> You know, I, I I guess if you had given this to me beforehand, like that, that feels like I'd have to really search. But, you know, when I think about, you know, 50 year old. OK, so so here's something I can pull up from my from my uh, past. It, it's funny because I'm going to contradict myself in it. But, you know, I, I was raised Jewish and I gave it up for Lent, but I was raised Jewish and and I don't practice anymore. But I think there's a real beauty to the Seder. Right. Where um, every Passover, you have this meal and you say the same things, you read the same things, you ask the four questions. And to me, there's something really beautiful about that tradition that has not changed one iota. And I I think that's beautiful, which doesn't mean that the only things that are beautiful are the things that haven't changed. But I, I do think I do think it's important to preserve while at the same time being open to some progression in another expression of that thing that you're preserving. I think this
1: actually comes down to a lot of what we try to do in Sacred, Sacred being the NGO that we, well, that you invited me to work at with you. (laughs) It invited you. I gave you money. Well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's how I call it an invitation. But I think that as long as the community is empowered as long as it's in ter- in its terms. And again, like, this is gets so complicated because, you know, even as a, as we were saying, Oaxaca, even a small town, it's populated by, a very, by various communities within them itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you say the community chose... Uh, it's a lot of times right. it's being it's being used as yes these immaculate people with perfect perceptions <laughs> and well, extremely it, pure hearts and uh, a singular vision
2: and it's never a singular. I don't care what community you're talking about, you will never have. If you took a vote, you would never have unanimity with a single decision. Just doesn't happen. Exactly. So.
1: I when people say like the community should be empowered I always like it always gives me a terrible headache. What I do believe that is important is that the changes that are being enacted in a place don't destroy for good that place or don't destroy the means that that place has for its survival.
2: Yeah, you know, I I I'd agree with that. And you know, what I think I really do think that is the whole point to Fabiola's piece. Mm. You know, she starts off by saying, uh, in essence, if she could, she'd like to just end tourism altogether. Which, hey, you know, it turns out that actually did happen. It was called a pandemic, and the, right, and, the, and people love
1: it. They, well, people love and, it more or the, less. <laughs>
2: the economic toll that that took on parts of Oaxaca were, were extreme, but. You know, I get where she's coming from when she says that. And even more so, like I read the piece and people, you know, people online took, to, not everybody, obviously, because again, there's no unanimity among anybody, any groups. But um, there were people who who felt that she had a tone. And, I, you know, my first response to that is, well, if you're reading a tone into it, you're reading a tone into it. This was a written piece. It wasn't spoken. So... Any tone that's theirs, uh, well, but you, but you
1: know why, Lou? I think a lot of people are very sensitive about this thing because I think that there is a significant group of people that read this piece that do care honestly about Oaxaca. Oh, I think so and, too, and that a lot of uh, and that they are these kind of people that have decided to have long term commitment to the place. Yeah, I'm one of them, and and that they've uh, I wouldn't say they've got they've done sacrifices, but they've uh, they've opened. They've gone beyond their comfort zone in order to share that with other people, and I think a lot of uh, of the, of the of the impact that they think they have in this space has to do with them being brokers into this beautiful place and sharing it to people that they think have the means to properly appreciate it, and I think that a piece that suggests that by doing so, by bringing people from the outside into this place, you're hurting it. I believe that it's something that touches a very sensitive
2: place, uh, within this group. I, Oh, I get it. But literally I'm the guy you're talking about here. <laughs> like I, I like, yes. the number of yeah. times yeah, yeah, I've come look, down, the number of people I've brought with me, the number of people I've encouraged to come down, but I, you know, I don't, I don't take umbrage with anything, almost anything that she says. Um, you know, I I, I I I do blanch at the idea that there shouldn't be any tourism because, again, to get back to that first point that we made, I, I think places and people are enriched by um, uh, cross-cultural connections. But, you know, I, I think if you take her piece at face value, what she's saying is I really want to preserve this place. These are the things that I think— are most putting Mm. this place at risk. And I don't disagree with her on any of them. You know, I like you and I have had this conversation before. I think it was at the Tales of the Cocktail thing last summer where I am very conscious of the fact that when I travel down to Mexico, travel anywhere, but specifically in Mexico, I feel like I'm leaving this carbon wake behind me. And that as a result, I have to do more good I have to be very cognizant of doing things that I think are going to have a positive impact that I love reading pieces like this because in essence they show me somebody else's view of how to mitigate this this carbon footprint that I'm leaving every time I step into Mexico
1: and I think carbon is one thing one way to say it like the the physical um, if you want number-based impact that you're having in the place but I think that what I like the most about this piece, uh, at least in in it touching the tip of the iceberg, is maybe suggesting that a place like Oaxaca, that and I keep making this point a little bit, right? Like Oaxaca is tough. Oaxaca will survive it all. Once Oaxaca gets uh, completely taken over by the tourists, the teachers will come by and burn every hotel to the ground. Hey, Oaxaca, you'll make it. But it's just as the Amazonas, the Amazonas being one of the most dense incredibly Amazon. intimidating jungles in the planet yeah. it's actually a rather fragile ecosystem so as much as i would love to think that you know Oaxaca is the mike tyson of the cities against tourism it can still be knocked out it it is still a fragile thing sure so, and i and
2: i know that i know that that's not like when i say carbon i actually mean everything because we're, yeah. no, we're like no, I I people know, I know. I are carbon-based, yeah. so yeah. So I mean, yeah. li- like like having bringing a ton of money into a single community can cause uh, irreparable damage to the structure of that community. Like I I get all of that, but
1: but but again, then and this is this this can be so paralyzing. And, then, and that's now I said what I liked. Now uh, I will conclude with I the area where I don't fully agree that it it's sort of paralyzing. You know because I. I'm I'm a big fan of making terrible mistakes. You know, like I, <laughs> okay,
2: well then, how is it paralyzing if if you're if you're a fan well, of terrible because, mistakes? Like you shouldn't be paralyzed from doing anything. Well, no, because then I, then when I think about
1: how 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 fragile these places are, then I I get all self conscious about my terrible mistakes and the terrible like consequences that I can have. And I mean, there's this philosopher that I love, Slavok Shishek, that he says the most significant thing we can do is do nothing. And I hate that. I hate that with such passion because I want to do stuff. You know, I, I drink enough coffee in the morning. I like, I, I want to do things. <laughs> so uh, like I, and as we we're saying, all of these communities are so over the top specific. You know, like I've I lived in five different communities in the time that I spent in Oaxaca. None of them behaved in the same way. None no, of them had of the, the same value systems. No, of None course of them not. cared about the same things. Yeah. So it's impossible to go into one of these places doing anything else but just, you know, getting your arms off to the air and, and say like, okay, guys, I, I'm here
2: to, to make horrible mistakes where I learn in the long term. I, I I like that as a conclusion from your side. you know, for me the the biggest thing that I took away from this honestly was a few days after we received uh after we we after I first read this piece, um and I was thinking, well, I like this about it and i I dislike that about it. Um, we received uh, through our website a request from a publicist. Oh, I know. To, to do an episode of our podcast, and she clearly hadn't listened to our podcast, but to do an episode of our podcast about this tour group that was coming down, led by a chef in the USA. And they were charging $4,000 per person for the trip. Um, and normally... They were gonna, it's, it was going to be an immersive... Uh, can, I, can I do a voice? <laughs> Roy,
1: help me with this. An immersive experience, getting to know the ancestral techniques for making mezcal and the traditional cooks uh stuff like
2: that yeah okay. and, and end of the noises yeah so um so it was that and normally we just would have sent back a no thank you but then i i was looking through the materials and there were a couple pictures of our friend mescalero maestro mescalero eduardo Anales in there and i thought oh well if lalo's in on this and hey yeah sure i'm happy to promote it um, so I reached out to Lalo and he'd never heard of it. And in and, and one of the $4,000, they're selling a $4,000 trip and they're doing it with pictures of Lalo. And he's literally not only never given them permission, but he's never heard of it. And it, it struck me that, you know, one of the things that... uh that 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 fabiola had said in her piece was you know don't don't take pictures without permission these are people they're not props and here not only was was a guy who's i mean for me at least is a big piece of the cultural heritage that i love about oaxaca being used as a prop to sell a four thousand dollar per person trip um all of which I say, like, so you had your conclusion. My conclusion is this. Like, if you're reading, if you're reading any tone into what Fabiola wrote, the, the tone might be in you. Be open to the fact that, uh, that there's stuff in here that you might disagree with, but it's coming from a place of love. She's trying to save the place that she loves. And, you know, right or wrong, I, I got to admire her and appreciate her for putting herself out there and suggesting these things.
1: Yeah, and just people can be annoying. And I fully agree <laughs> with her. <laughs> be it people from Mexico City, from the United States, or you know, like every every person that is not from a place can be tremendously annoying. So yeah, there you go.
2: Okay. Well this has been a long one. Um let's, yeah, okay. let's, let's wrap it this. up and I'll Ouch. catch up with you on the next one. See ya all. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash network.